You know we love spooky things. This is why we fell in love with Michigan-based Lynn B. Designs. When I popped the pumpkin spice all the things wax melt into my burner, my home was filled with a delicious buttery scent. Plus, there's the wide variety of a gorgeous nail polishes with themes like Hocus Pocus and Pleasant Peninsula. All products are vegan and cruelty-free, and you can find monthly sales on Facebook and Instagram at Lynn B. Designs. Head to lynnbdesigns.store today. Again, that's L-Y-N-B-designs.store. We love them. We love you. It's great nail polish. It's the best I've ever used. Thanks! Michiganders can be a superstitious bunch. We find all sorts of reasons to explain the world around us, sometimes pulling from science, sometimes tradition, and sometimes from our imaginations. What happens when we can't readily explain our experiences? And what happens when a ghost story gets out of hand? Do these legends stem entirely from fantasy, or are people seeing things no one can truly explain? I'm Krista K. Coburn. And I'm Kay Gray. Welcome to Haunted Mitten. The land that is now Grand Rapids, Michigan, has been occupied by humans for over 2,000 years. First by the Hopewell, builders of the large earthen mounds that you can still find around Michigan today. Then, around 1700 CE, people of the three fires, the Ottawa, Chippewa, or Ojibwa, and Potawatomi, began to build villages around the Grand River. In 1806, the first European fur trading post was established by French-Canadian uh, Joseph Laframboise and his wife Magdalene who was of mixed French and Ottawa descent and had her name spelled several different ways. I'm sorry. I need to cut in here to say that framboise is French for raspberry. So he was Joseph the raspberry. Great. Love it. Uh, and so with a name like that, I, I had to look this guy up. Uh, it turns out Le Framboise was originally a nickname for his ancestor Bertrand, <laughs> Bertrand sure. Fafard de la Framboise. Which means like Bertrand Farfard called the raspberry. <laughs> Farfard. Sorry. <laughs> Farfard. Um, he was the first in the family to immigrate to Canada. And the family name was Farfard. F-A-F-A-R-D, in case you're curious. Um, but the family in Canada actually decided to adopt Baframboise as their last name. You may go on now. No, I got to stop and laugh about <laughs> Farfard. <laughs> like La Framboise, La Fafar. Like, I guess I can see why they changed it to La Framboise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you had to talk to any English speakers. <laughs> sorry, your name is what? <laughs> I'm sorry, go on. What? <laughs> Monsieur Fafar? <laughs> <laughs> said fart. That's the joke. Uh, Joseph and Magdalene would travel every fall by canoe from Mackinac Island to their posts along the Grand River then returned to the island in the spring with the furs they had gotten. Joseph was killed near what is now Grand Haven, and Magdalene moved with her children permanently back to Mackinac Island, where she became not only a prominent citizen, but the most successful fur trader in the region. There is an entire Wikipedia page devoted to her, and not even a snippet about her husband. That's how awesome she was. She was really awesome. I, I do vaguely remember learning about her when we were on Mackinac Island. So fun oh. connecting 
different parts of history so that was, that was kind of cool i totally don't but maybe that's why la framboise sounds so familiar to me i don't know it could be she's i believe she's buried on the island oh very cool yeah i don't know if her house is still there or like her furting fur trading post was still there i can't remember something framboise yeah. related yeah, because there was something about her in their historical museum, which might have been closed when you and I were there and open when Greg and I were there. I do not remember going to a historical museum, so I have a feeling. Yeah, I think it was. We did a lot more wandering and a lot less Yeah, building. Building-centered activities? But, I don't know. Yeah, she's super cool. Magdalene Laframboise. <laughs> so jumping ahead to the 1840s, we have the establishment of what is now the Heritage Hill Historic District, or perhaps better known as just Heritage Hill. Ah. Um, it is Grand Rapids' oldest residential district and one of the biggest urban historic districts in the entire United States, with 1,300 homes dating from 1843. Wow, that's a lot. It's a lot of homes. Uh, if you like the 19th century architecture, as I do, you need to visit. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. There's, we're talking Greek Revival, Italianate, Colonial Revival, uh, Chateauesque, which I don't even remember what that is. Queen, I, I Queen Anne know. is a big one. Obviously, everyone knows Queen yeah. Anne. Shingle style and over 50 more styles. I don't know what shingle style is. I can't remember. I, I did look it up, but I can't is remember it, now. Is it the house that where they have the wooden like the gingerbread shingle, like gingerbread houses? It might be. Okay. Those are cool. But yeah, 50 more styles than the ones I mentioned. And I, and I don't even recognize all of the ones I mentioned. Right. I couldn't even begin to name you yeah. what those are. There is, it's a really cool neighborhood. And if you are a Frank Lloyd Wright fan, Heck yeah. there is the Meyer May House completed in 1909, which I visited probably about 15 years ago. And I, and I loved it. It's, it's beautiful. Um. And also, Heritage Hill is purportedly so haunted, there is an entire Facebook group devoted to it called Haunted Heritage Hill. Amazing. Yes. Yeah, you know, I can see it. There's 1,300 homes from 1843, 1843 and beyond. Yeah. Some people got to die there, right? Absolutely. <laughs> or, or, or other reasons for there to be ghosts. But I'm like, man. A lot of people died in those houses. Yeah. We'll have to do a, a driving tour sometime. It's really cool. I've, I've been there a few times visiting friends. That'd but... be awesome. And the Meyer May house was, it was super cool. Yeah. No, I love uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Me too. I would, I would happily just take like a Frank Lloyd Wright tour. Yeah. There's a few out on that side of the state. Yeah. So we could. I've seen a lot of them that are in California. Okay. Um, There's one that's like super hard to get to. That's up. I want to say in like the Hollywood Hills, but not, I'm going to say the Hills of Hollywood because the Hollywood Hills is a neighborhood. <laughs> so yeah. the, in the Hills of Hollywood, that's like on this really skinny, windy road. There's a bunch of houses up there, but okay. like there's like, there's nowhere to park. Like it's just a house. So you can't go in because somebody owns it, but right, you can like, I did, a, I did a photo shoot back in the day outside of it. It's really cool. cool. Yeah. The Meyer May <laughs> house is um like a museum kind of now yeah so you can you can go visit you can take tours it's really neat yeah that's awesome that's so cool mm -hmm. the phillips mansion at 152 north prospect ave has a fairly tragic history i told you with several <laughs> generations of death i told you in various families who live there people died a lot in the past remember people die a lot yeah 1843 now. a lot of people have died since then <laughs> 
Indeed. Uh, the smiling face of a blonde young man has been seen hovering. I'll pass. Also, the frail body of a young woman was seen lying next to a resident in bed. A friendly-looking gentleman, identified as James T. Phillips, has been seen a few times. People have also experienced hearing disembodied footsteps, unexplained vibrations that knock pictures off the wall, thumping noises, sounds from the attic as if furniture is being dragged across the floor, items disappearing and reappearing, slamming doors, a bright blinding light, and a cup of paint was sent sailing across the room when the entity was told to shut up. Which is what I would... Well, actually, I'm usually more polite. I'm like, can, can we not... Can we please just keep it down? Yeah, no, I'm... No, I'm not going to tell them to shut up and be like, hey, we're kind of, we're busy. Yeah. Do you, I understand. Do you mind? You are acknowledged. We hear you. Stop, please. It was a rental for a while, so I think that's why there's so many uh, different experiences. As many old Victorian homes were, they were divided up. Right. Family. And I believe they were able to identify who it was, that it was James T. Phillips, because um, I believe there was a... a portrait of him in the house oh okay and they were like I, I, what that's the guy that i just saw in the hallway <laughs> but i've seen this dude fair enough there are more um more details in the books that i drew these from which i'll talk about later because always get the books they're fun always one story from heritage hill that uh has a moment or two in the sun i shall say is from resident chris gibbons uh, not only did he write a book about his and his wife's experiences in their home called Trespass, but the story was featured on Discovery Network's show A Haunting back in 2012. Oh, no shit. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Trespass was self-published, uh, and it is possibly for sale at trespassnovella.com. It says to email to inquire about purchase. Oh, uh, okay. Um, if you click on like the link to Amazon or the link to something, like it's not there anymore. If, if you click on the, like, buy the book here, like, oh. it's just a dead link. Got it. But it does say inquire, and he's still paying for the site. So I'm assuming you can still purchase it. You just have to purchase it from him. Mm, got it. I thought it was pretty cool that it was on a haunting. <laughs> um, the episode is called Dark Dreams. And the Gibbons family makes up the musical group, the Four Leaf Clover Band, and they recorded the soundtrack for the episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I tried to look up more information on them, but I, I don't, they may not, they may no longer be together. I mean, this was almost 10 years ago. Sure. But I thought that was pretty cool that they did the soundtrack to their own episode. That's nuts. I didn't know that. Yeah. I want to track this down now. <laughs> uh, the episode is called Dark Dreams for a Reason. While living in the house in Heritage Hill, Chris experienced vivid nightmares in one that is featured in the episode, Chris experienced being thrown out of a closed window by an invisible force. Yes, I said closed. Ow. Yeah, ow. It's not like the movies. It's not candy glass. Nope. Good lord, that's real glass. Ah. Other occurrences in the house include Chris and his wife, Kay, not me, uh, their bed being shaken by unseen hands. Something would push their pillows during the night. The plastic used during renovation would rustle and move, and Kay was attacked by something in the basement. No thanks. Yeah, which which was understandably the last straw. Yeah. You know, when he was like, oh, hell no, you attacked my wife. Uh, so first, a priest was called in. They were Catholic. And he prayed with the family. 
Next, a Native American shaman came and performed a ritual. And according to the MLive article where we first encountered this story called A Haunting, Meet the Grand Rapids Man Who's Unsettling Heritage Hill ghost story will be told on TV from November 2012. This quote-unquote war with the quote-unquote ghost was eventually won by the Gibbons. And Chris said the experience challenged his faith and led him to meet others with similar experiences. Uh, you can read all about this in his book, again, which is found at trespassnovella.com. How much do you think is TV and how much do you think is them? I don't know. Um, the article came out before the episode aired. And from the way he was talking about it, he hadn't seen it. Okay. Uh, he said that he was assured by the producers that they would accurately portray his story. Okay, sure. <laughs> you know, whatever that means. Uh-huh. Um, so. Yeah. I, and maybe, but uh, in general, I don't trust TV. So. <laughs> yeah. And then he, he wrote a book, too. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and it's a novella, so I'm presuming liberties have been taken to make it more fiction. Maybe. Or he, like, wrote it in, in novel form. Yeah. Fictional form. I don't know. Yeah. But it is it is based on, if not verbatim, their experiences. Right. And they were they bought the house and renovated it, which couldn't have been cheap. No. So could it have been a money grab to make up for the money they spent on the house? Yeah. But I'm kind of inclined to believe that something was going on just because I don't want to call this guy a liar. When oh, I really have no, no, no. Idea. And I'm not saying that, like, nothing <laughs> happened. I'm just saying, like... TV has a tendency to, to dramatize Especially things. with paranormal things, they want to dramatize it and up it up for fear factor as much as possible. Yeah. Like, I think we mentioned on the universities one, that story from the U of M sorority house that was on TV. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was a little... Meh. <laughs> 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 so, you know, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Wait, to, and to be fair, we didn't buy the novella, so... No, can't say anything really. I tried. Uh, I looked on Melcat. I looked on Worldcat, and nobody had it. Aww. I was like, really? You didn't donate it to like the Grand Rapids Library? Rude. <laughs> That's fair. We didn't donate any of ours either. So, um, <laughs> they they bought them. That's fine. <laughs> uh, the members of the Saint Cecilia Music Center have been meeting since 1883. Wow. First in each other's homes, then in 1894, in the beautiful building that remains today. And according to Nicole Bray, yay, <laughs> we remember her, and Robert Duchesne in their book, Ghost of Grand Rapids, that building is haunted. I wanted to mention St. Cecilia's, um, St. Cecilia, Cecilia is the patron saint of music, by the way, in case you didn't know, um, because both Kay and I were in choirs when we were younger, and we both love music. So this was kind of a cool one for us. I only found um, reports of it being haunted really in the book. So read the book. <laughs> uh, but the ac the activity here is, I'm going to say, pretty typical, kind of. Or, or at least it's what you might expect from this type of place. Um, though there there are some, some interesting stories attached, too. Okay. I wonder if that's... It says St. Cecilia, so I'm assuming it's Catholic in some way. Question mark? I don't know. I, I might have been chosen just because she's the patron saint of music. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if it's specifically religious affiliate. It may have been back in the day because, you know. Oh, that's fair. 1800s. Yeah. Everybody was religious somehow. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I'm just wondering if that's why there's not a lot of reports. It's, no, that's not true. The Catholics love ghosts. Yeah, they kind of do. Man, the Catholics love paranormal. So do Methodists. That's true. Or at least they did. I was just <laughs> listening. Back in the day. <laughs> Aaron and I were listening to a last podcast on uh, the exorcism of Annalise Mikkel mm-hmm. from Germany. And they go into a lot of what, like, what comprises an exorcism, a Catholic, specifically a Catholic exorcism, because there's not just Catholic ones. Mm-hmm. And then, like, what you have to do and all that stuff. And they were comparing it to, essentially, magic ritual. Mm-hmm. And they're the same. <laughs> yeah, I've been to mass. Names. I know how this works. <laughs> so I'm like, mm, that's right. I forgot the Catholics love ghosts. Yeah, the, the paranormal <laughs> demons. Yeah, yeah. All, that, all that stuff is very real to them. Yeah. So now I guess my theory, my theory is debunked that because it's religious, they wouldn't have a lot of stories. The Catholics would be all over that. Probably. Love you, Aaron. My husband's <laughs> Catholic. <laughs> a woman dressed in Victorian stock clothing has been seen in Royce Auditorium seated during performances and practices. Tickets for seat 105 refused to print. West Michigan Ghost Hunter Society investigators doing an EVP session from the seats on either side of 105 recorded a man's voice saying, move it. It's awesome. Isn't that great? <laughs> uh, the recorder was set on seat 105 at the time. Music is heard playing when no one is scheduled to play and the performance hall is empty. An older African-American man dressed in an old-fashioned janitor's jumpsuit has been seen on multiple occasions, at least once sweeping. He acknowledges those who address him with looks, but not words. Doors open and close, and cackling is heard in the music library. I love that. I just, I can hear it in my head. (laughs) Someone. Cackling is such an evocative word. Like, you know what cackling is. Oh, yeah. It's not just laughing. It's a very specific sound. Someone is very excited about their music library. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or finds them or finds the music library very uh, evil inducing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because cackling is like throwing your head back. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so specific. I love it. <laughs> so a a woman once scheduled to perform at the hall died during an operation the day before. Oh God! More info on that coming. Uh, Ghosts of Grand Rapids, the book I just mentioned, names her Mrs. W. A. Greason, which didn't give me a lot to go on. Because it's her husband's name. Oh. I, the past was the worst. Thank you, Simon Whistler. Uh, I was able to find Professor W.A. Greason on Find a Grave. He was a beloved superintendent of the Grand Rapids City Schools in the early 20th century. And he, he lived quite a while, actually. Uh, his wife was mentioned there in, in like the obituaries and other things written about him. And her name was Emma Lyon Withy. Wifey Greason. Sure. Um, W.A. was her second husband. Got it. So that's why she has the three last names. And she was a pianist as well as an early member of St. Cecilia's. The five by six foot Tiffany window that depicts St. Cecilia playing an organ and accompanied by two angels was commissioned by her mother in Emma's memory. Aw. And they just recently restored it and have it backlit so you can you can go oh, look at it. Oh, good. I want to go yeah. see it. It's, it looks huge. There's a picture yeah. online, but it doesn't do it justice. I'm sure it doesn't do it justice. Oh, yeah. Five by six foot. That's a big window. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a me and a half size window. Emma was only 34 when she died and had been married to W.A. for just one year. The page on Find a Grave for Emma includes a newspaper article about her sudden death. She went in for surgery at 10 a.m. on February 7th, 1893 and died at 7 p.m. that night. The operation was a... 
I think it's laparotomy. Laparotomy. Sure. Which I should really read these before. I, I should not do cold reads. But sorry, folks, that's yeah, never going to change. That's my best guess at that pronunciation. <laughs> folks, it is never changing. It's, it's Greek. <laughs> the operation was a laparotomy, which Wikipedia defines as, quote, a surgical procedure involving small incisions through the abdominal wall to gain access to the abdominal cavity, unquote. Scary. The article doesn't say what it was for, but it could have been to diagnose a problem or to alleviate one, such as colon cancer. The article does say that this procedure was, quote, frequently performed upon married women and young girls, unquote. Isn't that kind of sinister sounding? Like, this tells me nothing. Why did what? she get this surgery and why was it so common for married women and young uh, girls specifically? Uh, what? Someone who knows the history of medical stuff. Email us, please. Yeah, please explain this to me. Because, like, what? What? I'm, like, rereading a surgical procedure involving small incisions through the abdominal wall to gain access to the abdominal cavity. Yeah, it was either, why? They use it for either an exploratory surgery, like they don't know what's going on, so they got to get in there and check it out. Or they know what's wrong, and so they need to get in there and take care of the problem, like maybe cut out tumors or something. So just because it's women and young girls, I just assume it's like uterine related. I'm like, is this a hysteria thing? Yeah, I don't know. They, I mean, there's, there's like, there's a lot of details in the article and also not at the same time because it was the early 20th century oh sure they, um, didn't, they didn't know either no and oh maybe like they did know and like the audience would have been like oh yeah yeah my mom had that i know totally what that is like oh i have I, no idea who knows <laughs> because apparently it was frequently performed so oh my god someone can explain that to me please <laughs> do <laughs> well after her death emma's female friends as well as other quote-unquote women of this city began to question the validity of the health care they were receiving, and they expressed concern that their lives were being handled, quote, too carelessly, unquote, at the hospitals and by physicians. No, duh. Yeah. Like, hmm, yeah, no way. Because, yeah, they were expecting this to be, like, a routine procedure. Yeah. And then she died later. It doesn't say what she died from, just that it was a consequence of the surgery. I wonder how many, now I need to, like, I would like to know the stats of this surgery. How many women died? Yeah. And it, it, it was interesting that it kind of caused this kind of outcry. Yeah. Um, and all I have is this article, so I can't look at other things and go, like, what, see if it led to anything. Right. You know. Or, um, but I did think or, that was interesting and in that I was really happy that that article was included with her find a grave entry because mm -hmm. it was interesting. Yeah, for sure. And horrifying. Great. Yes. All yes. at once. And confusing. Um, but as I mentioned, Emma was practicing for a recital at St. Cecilia's prior to her unexpected death, and the Tiffany window was commissioned in her memory. So could she be the mysterious woman seen in the audience? Hmm? Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, why not? Possibly. I mean, she clearly <laughs> loved music. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I guess it could be any number of women or entities or whatever you want to believe, but... I don't know. That seems like a good enough case for it for me. Yeah. And she could be, you know, because they say they hear music being played. Yeah. Could be her maybe because she was, I mean, she was practicing for it like right up until the night before it, the surgery. Yeah. Um, she was fully expecting to come out of the surgery and then be able to perform. Pretty not, immediately. Yeah. Which seems weird to me. Like, wouldn't you need to recover a little bit more? But Nah, I people back not. in the day were like, surgery, boom, done on the farm the next day, milking cows. But women yeah. were so delicate. 
No, but then they birthed a baby and just like got on with their lives. And she did have two children with her first husband. Oh, that's nice. Um, she didn't with WA because they were only married a year, which I think is really sad. That sucks. And then he went on to live. I think he died in his 80s or something. He lived a good long life. Dang. Okay. And was very involved with the Grand Rapids school system. And, oh, that's um, good. Was like a innovator of education and things. So he was kind of an interesting guy too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this poor woman. <laughs> only 34. Lord. All right. So we have a photo of the next one on our script and yeah i had to include it while we talk about it because it's not there anymore i know really cool that is indeed what i'm going to talk about as the murder house yeah i i immediately dubbed it the murder house because i couldn't remember its real name love it we're starting a new (laughs) we're starting a new rumor Everybody, this house that doesn't, that's not there anymore in Grand Rapids is called the Murder House. <laughs> it, it was actually called the Judd White House. Whatever. Though I'm not actually sure why it was called the Judd White House. It just was. I assume somebody named that owned it. That's how houses get names, right? Yeah, usually. Or the most prominent person who lived there. You don't normally walk by a house and just point at it and go, that house, that house's name is Judd. Yeah, and I, I don't know who Judd and White were. I'm sure I could investigate further, but that's not what this story's about. No. All right. Uh, how, however, it is possibly the most famous haunting in Grand Rapids, uh, the old Michigan Bell Telephone Company building. You've probably heard of it if you're from the Grand Rapids area. Very probably. Prior to this building's construction, it was a gorgeous two-story Victorian house known as the Judd White House. It was raised in 1924, but there are pictures online, like what we're looking at. You will often see that Warren Randall murdered his wife Virginia in this house, but... That's not entirely true. Nope. Why you research people? (laughs) So I research. So what actually happened was Warren C. Rowland murdered his wife, Vashti Perry Rowland, and then died by suicide in the house. Oh, okay. That's better? Allegedly. I will throw that in there. Allegedly. Like, we're we're pretty darn sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say allegedly to cover our butts, but, like, now we know. Like, forensics strongly point to this is what happened. (laughs) Um, So Warren and Vashti were married the 13th of March in 1907 in Grand Rapids. He was 25 and she was 21. Just two years later, they would be dead. Dun, dun, dun. The July 11th, 1909 issue of the Grand Rapids Herald reported that the coroner ruled Vashti's death as asphyxiation. This was also sensational at the time, so you'll find a lot of um, newspaper clippings and stuff about it. So again, do your research before (laughs) you write a book and put false information in your book. People were not pointing out. Um, So he, he, the coroner, uh, supposed that she had passed out from imbibing too much liquor then asphyxiated from the gas that her husband turned on after plugging up the cracks in the door and windows. So prior to the coroner's findings, it was thought that uh, Warren had slashed Vashti's throat with a razor or even that he had beaten her to death with his wooden leg, then turned on the gas. Oh, okay. And you will still hear these claims today as facts. Like these are the urban legends and you find them in books and things. Um, but the coroner disproved them back in 1909 and a slight gash was found on Warren's neck from a razor, but it was not a fatal wound. This was a sensation back in its day. Mm-hmm. The newspaper article reports that, quote, 
All day yesterday, the morbid crowds hung about the house, tramped over the lawns, and peered through the windows. Some even entered the house to wander through the rooms and to view the chamber of death, and an officer was finally dispatched from police headquarters to keep the crowd off the grounds, unquote. Mrs. O'Brien, Vashti's mother, was told about her daughter's death when a Detroit newspaper called her at work and asked for a photo of her daughter. Isn't that awful? Good God. Naturally, she refused until he told her what it was for. What a way to find out. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we need a photo of your daughter. Why? Because she's dead? Because <laughs> she's been murdered? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Awful. Just awful. Ghosts of Grand Rapids by Nicole Bray, Robert Duchesne, and Julie Rathsack says that the Rollins' bodies were unrecognizable when found. They were so decomposed that, that they were identified by Warren's wooden leg and the missing reports from Vashti's brother and sister, who had been begging police to find Vashti for about a week. Good job, cops. Good job. Great. They've always been like this. Interestingly... Warren's father had murdered his wife and died by suicide under very similar circumstances. What? Perpetrators of violence were victims of violence, too? No way. What? That's... What? It's preposterous. It is supposed that Warren moved from Oakland, California to Michigan to escape the notoriety. Because, again, sensational stories. Warren's father, George H. Rowland, a Southern Pacific Company switchman, shot and killed his wife, Florence, when she tried to leave him. After shooting her, he attempted to shoot his 17-year-old son, Edward, and two stepdaughters. Edward managed to push the women out of the house to safety, and per the San Francisco call on Saturday 13th, 1905, quote, The husband and wife had returned from a trip to San Francisco to arrange the terms of property settlement, preliminary to the carrying out of an agreement to separate. The folks had been talking about the family differences when Roland suddenly left the room. Soon afterwards, he called to his wife, asking her to go into the kitchen. The boy, who was Roland's son by a former marriage, warned his stepmother not to have. He feared something might occur because his father had shown signs of ugliness. That's right, ugliness. But Mrs. Roland went and had barely closed the door when the others heard two pistol shots. Young Roland ran to the kitchen and saw his stepmother lying on the floor. The father was brandishing a pistol. The boy grabbed a chair and smashed it at his father, knocking the weapon out of his hand. The young man tried to get the pistol, but his father seized it and fired a shot at the boy, who rushed out to alarm his stepsisters. Scissors. To alarm his stepsisters. He had opened the front door to let them out into the street when a bullet passed between his arm and body. The father turned away and went to a pantry off the kitchen where he laid the pistol on a shelf. Then he took his razor, stepped out onto the back porch, and facing a small looking glass on the wall, slashed his throat deeply. He staggered back to where his wife's body lay and died with one arm around her neck. Mrs. Rowland was shot once through the head. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> Take a moment and absorb that. <laughs> oh my god. Damn. Also, newspapers back then were like really full of the details. Seriously. None of this like holding back. No, 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 no. Information at all. They were like, no. Read this lurid tale. Listen to this. papers. This this guy did this, then walked in front of a mirror, watched himself slash his own throat, staggered back and died on his dead wife's body. Whom he just murdered. Sweet Jesus. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's such a wild story. And then for his son, not the one in the, in the story, another son. To then not do the same thing, but kind of 
Kinda. I mean, rough, the <laughs> same, not the same details, but the same act. Yeah. There oh were no guns involved. God. No, but, but still, you, I mean, you use what you've got, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So after all of that, all of that horror, 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 uh, we are obviously mentioning this because there's a ghost story, right? Sure. That's, that's why we're all here. Right. This isn't my crime corner. Yeah. It could be. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> yeah. This one's a doozy. So as we said earlier, the house was torn down in 1924. And an office building for the Michigan Bell Telephone Company was built in its place in 1925. Um, by the way, I think it's owned by AT&T now because they inherited Michigan Bell. Oh, okay. Weirdly, because it gets weirder, the architect was a man named Wirt C. Rowland. Hmm. I could not determine a familiar relationship, so it may just be a coincidence because our Roland did come from California, as we just said. Wirt Rowland was a prestigious architect born in Michigan. Wirt. Yeah, I'm guessing that's how it's W-I-R-T. It's Wirt or Weird. Weird, Wirt. Either way, it's hilarious. Either way, it's a weird name. <laughs> it's probably German or something. Um, he designed a number of buildings in Grand Rapids, as well as many in Detroit. He was mostly based out of Detroit, as many Michigan architects were at the time. Um, and he even did a few in Ann Arbor. Hey. He did Hill Auditorium. Oh. And Hatcher Library at the University of Michigan. Oh. Um, okay. Yeah, and I've I've actually worked in both of those buildings selling books. Uh, but that that may only be interesting to people who geek out about architecture like me. I don't know. Right. Yeah. But, no, no one else cares. But well, that's kind of fun. I thought it was fun. Uh, now we get to the reason we're all here. Before the Bell Building was constructed, screams were said to be heard coming from the abandoned house, which is probably why they got rid of it, as well as the sound of a wooden leg thumping across the floorboards, like some Edgar Allan Poe shit. Yeah. And parents warned their children not to play there. To this day, with the house gone and the new building in place, people still claim to hear the couple argue. The apparitions of a man and a woman have been seen on the upper floors. And allegedly, the people of Grand Rapids would receive late night phone calls with no one on the other end. When these calls were traced, they were found to originate from within the Bell Building. Could this be Vashti calling for help? I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird story. And there's a lot of history there, spanning there's... two states. It does. That's crazy. That's nuts. I just, I, I think my favorite part, or not my favorite part, but one of them, um, is that they were like, hey, that's the murder house. Tear it down. Yeah. I'm not sure anyone minded that being torn down. They were like, with oh, a reputation like that. That house is getting torn down. Sweet. Good. Yeah. I think the, the Rollins rented the second floor. Um, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, so it was a it was a rental like a lot of houses were back then. Um, it is like right in the heart of Grand Rapids too. So like, yeah, it was gonna get torn down no matter what. <laughs> sure, but in Prime this real case, estate, but it yeah. was torn down really fast. Yeah, like yeah. it doesn't look like it sat it dormant not there for very for long. long. I doubt. I doubt anybody was going to rent that anyway. Yeah. No, people. That's the murder house. Maybe some people who were, like, into gory details. Because, like, yeah, as soon as it happened, people were all... Like, they were there before the cops and stuff, I think. Oh, I've... Yeah, we've read that about dozens of of crime cases back in the day. It's just like, oh, my God, somebody was murdered here? I'm going to go steal a lock of hair. Like... Yeah, it was a CSI nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) Please stop tampering with the evidence. And the dead people, they're dead! Yeah. I just can't believe that no one would investigate, like... 
there's a whole story i think it's in the grand rapids book but you'll find it in a lot of different places of how like they were fighting and they had kind of separated and then he invited his wife out on this beautiful date and like carriage ride and was kind of like romancing her again like hey baby let's get back together i'm not so bad and then they go back to the house and he kills her it was all a ruse <laughs> and you're himself. dead i don't know if his cause of death was asphy- asphyxiation but they did determine that the the razor cut was not deep enough so maybe he was trying to go out like his dad and then realized that's gross <laughs> and really hard to do i would think my goodness yeah so he probably probably also asphyxiated i'm guessing okay um because the room was yeah completely full of gas he right he blocked all the cracks in the windows and under the door and and then turned on the gas and yeah oh my god yeah oh it's yeah it's pretty gruesome it's a pretty infamous story i'm gonna say right in grand rapids history yeah but most most of the sources i found um give an incorrect name and it's because I am the Eberly book, which is the other Grand Rapids one, had their names wrong and some of the details wrong. And then, of course, everyone after him, instead of actually looking into it themselves with a quick Google search like I did, they just repeated him and mm. often added details to make it more lurid. Oh, my God. Just- but I like that the urban legends about he beat his wife to death with his wooden leg actually came from the time. Right. And, like, the newspaper specifically says he did not beat her to death with a wooden leg. But that's what got remembered. (laughs) Yeah. Death, wooden leg, got it. Yeah. All of the rumors that were circulating at the time are literally still circulating a century later. Right. That's that's crazy. Even after the coroner was like, no, I I can tell you exactly what happened. (laughs) Like. And also, I find that amazing that he, that they could tell what happened. Yeah. Especially since they were so decayed. Like, that's, that's cool to me. Oh, Yeah. Go and, science. And gross. And super gross, but, you know. <laughs> yay science. Yay science. <laughs> yay old-timey and new science. Oh, my gosh. And that, Mishigals, was Grand Rapids. You're welcome. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the two books we mentioned, Haunted Houses of Grand Rapids by Gary Eberly and Ghosts of Grand Rapids by Nicole Bray and Robert Duchesne are available at bookshop.org slash shop slash haunted mitten if you want to read more haunted stories and would like to get your own copy which i highly recommend yeah correct every purchase benefits this podcast as well as the independent bookstore of your choice and of course the authors it's a win-win-win don't forget to like and review haunted mitten so more people find us please follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at haunted mitten we are also on Patreon. I'm sure you're getting sick of us saying this. $1 a month gets you access to the private Haunted Bitten Discord server, as well as exclusive Patreon content, including the audio recording of our very first live presentation at Frank and Vest Detroit about Historic Fort Wayne, and our presentation with the Pinkney Library. Yeah, we've done two. I know. That's oh, my exciting. God. I did try to get the video, but I think we, you can only get the audio. I'm sorry. Dang it. And we have merch. Check us out at hauntedmitten.store. It's not, it's, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's, I would say it's not a lot. It's actually a lot of merch. It's one design. We're working on it. Yes, we will be getting more. Yeah. And once we start doing events again, we will certainly have a merch table. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, we, and we hope to have, it's, it says right here. I spoke too soon. We hope to have some other designs going up soon too. 
Um, if you have a story or want to get in contact about a collaboration, you can email us at the email address that I cannot fucking say <laughs> that I have to say at the end of every single podcast. And I'm going to start making you do it. I might switch it up. <laughs> contact haunted mitten at gmail.com. Bam. If I go slow, I can do it. Good job. <laughs> you can find me, K at K Gray Writes. That's W R I T E S. Um, on most social meds, but really on Twitter and Instagram is really it's where I live. Yeah. <laughs> that's most of my day. I'm, yeah, I'm slightly more social on those as well. Yeah. But, but you can find me on Facebook as well at Krista K. Coburn. C R Y S T A K C O B U R N. And as always, happy haunting. <laughs>